0: Hello, welcome to another episode of COVID Roulette. This is a podcast where we chat to people about their COVID stories. And today, I'm walking to the office of my local federal MP. Her name's Jed Carney, member for Cooper. And I want to chat to Jed about what it's been like to be a public official in this time of pandemic. But I also know Jed has a very personal and very tragic COVID story to tell. And so I'm going to ask her about that, too. Hi, Jed. Hi, Tony.
1: Welcome. COVID Rule well, Stories
0: from the Pandemic.
1: I'm Jed Carney. I'm the federal member for COOPER.
0: And Jed, you've got a a personal tragedy that occurred as a result of COVID.
1: I do. And it was in the very first round of um, the outbreak. My father-in-law was an elderly man, I think he was 81 or 82 and we were just learning about COVID and he decided to take great care, kind of stocked up the pantry and had intended for his and he and his wife to stay home and not expose themselves to the virus and I remember the last time I saw him, partner and I kind of teasing him a bit about this, you know, saying, oh, Mike, you know, it's not going to be that bad. Little did we know at that stage that unfortunately he would contract COVID through one of the few outings that he allowed himself, which was to go to the chemist and get his pills. He became very ill very quickly and tragically died within a week of contracting the virus.
0: And where was this?
1: This was in Canberra. We live in Melbourne. We weren't close to him. His wife and his daughter, you know, at that early stage, they allowed in full PPE for him to sit with him on his last few hours. But otherwise, he wasn't able to have visitors and things like that. The really tragic thing, apart from losing our beloved Mike, and he was a very active, amazingly engaged older person, uh, the the tragedy of this was that my poor mother in law, who was nearly eighty herself, had to isolate for two weeks by herself in her house whilst mourning the death of her husband, who'd been a husband, you know, for fifty odd years, and that was that was heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Uh, we weren't allowed to go into the house. Family members would go to the window, you know, talk to her through the window, leave food on the doorstep. But just imagine that. You can't imagine that, can you? You've lost your husband and there's no one there to give you a kiss or a hug or get drunk with, you know, have a glass of wine with or just to celebrate his life and and try to mourn in a normal way that we do in our culture. It was awful. It was very painful for her and for
0: all of us. Mm. And you said this was right at the start of the pandemic. When actually was it?
1: It was March, must have been 2020. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's Alpha. Oh, yeah. This was the very beginning, before there were vaccinations, before we really knew what had hit us. And so he was about the third person to die in the ACT. And one of the very first, I think he was number 33. Nationally,
0: do you have any sense of how he caught it at the pharmacist?
1: We do not know, and I don't know if he caught it at the pharmacy, but that was really the only outing that we could think of. Um, we don't know to this day, we don't know, and there was that was another terrible thing because a lot of the family, including my partner and I, Lee and I, thought maybe we'd given it to him unwittingly or unknowingly, you know, because we'd all been out and about. And we'd gone and visited him. And so for a long time, until we all tested negative ourselves, there was that awful feeling that maybe we'd given it to him. It was, it was awful. It was pretty terrible. And, uh, yeah, it was very early on and a sign of things to come.
0: Can you talk about the symptoms unfolding, finding out about, oh I, oh, no, he's positive. Can you remember the sort of timeline of that?
1: I can. My he was with my brother-in-law and wife and he said he felt sick and was finding it really hard to breathe and they decided that they should go to the doctor and just get it checked out and when they went to the doctor the doctor just did one took one look at him and said straight to hospital and he was in ED in emergency when they tested him for covid and the test came back positive and he was whisked away to an isolation ward i think it was less than a week Um, Before he died, it was so quick. And yeah, no chance to really get ready or even think about it. You know, it was very quick.
0: And was he intubated and unconscious? Did you not have any opportunities to call him on the phone or anything? No,
1: we did. We all spoke to him um, on the phone. They were bringing the phone to him wrapped up in. You know, As you said, we thought it was droplet and touch and there were photos of him. The nurses were wonderful in the hospital and had taken photos of him holding the phone in a big plastic bag, talking to us all through that. And he was texting my mother-in-law right up until the end. And uh, it's quite funny because he was quite a political man from a Labor family, as you would not be surprised to know. And one of the last text messages he sent my mother-in-law was... um, I don't know, she texted him something about he's in fine company because some very famous people had had COVID at that time and she said, oh, you're in fine company. He said, yes, but I'm waiting for the one that will trump all, (laughs) which was a vague reference to Donald. And that was the last text message that he sent her and then he fell into unconsciousness and they called the family down rather and Wendy got to sit with him, which was nice.
0: Uh, and what what happened with funerals and and those sorts of you know I imagine it was really difficult.
1: It was very difficult, as I as I said though. I'm getting a bit sad thinking about it, but um, those first two weeks were awful. Sorry.
0: No, no I, I I'm not gonna cry as well, and I don't know anyone involved. You know.
1: Uh, they were terrible because, you know, as I said, we couldn't go see Wendy, and um, the poor darling. She would ring and cry and cry. It was awful. And uh, just having to sit and look at her through a window, being so upset. And then, of course, you know, we couldn't have a funeral. Only 10 people could go to a funeral. And um, so we had to do the whole weird Zoom thing. Um, it was lovely. The whole Canberra family got to go to the, a funeral, which was really sweet. But us out of towners had to watch, unfortunately, from uh, on a Zoom And family members read out what we wanted to say about Mike. Other family members got to do that. So it was a bit awkward and not quite the same. We, of course, have since all gathered and had various family times together to remember Mike. But that was really hard too. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Jed, how did this inform your attitudes? It must have been a huge pressure that descended on public officials of all stripes and all levels with a pandemic going on. How did this personal experience affect your job?
1: Well, um, it certainly heightened in me as a public official the need to get on top of this, you know, that we needed really strong leadership at a federal level and state level from all governments to do our very best to tackle this in a, a serious way. And then, of course, we saw the outbreaks in aged care facilities. It was clear that older people were going to really be at the brunt of the outbreaks um, and then to see it all fall apart was really terrifying and I think the bit that I really worried about was the resistance to a vaccine knowing that a vaccine may well have saved Mike's life if there'd been one available at the time and uh, I sort of took it upon myself to really get on board with the vaccine message you know we need to vaccinate to to deal with this outbreak. I was getting a lot of emails and phone calls from people who were worried about the vaccine, you know, vaccine resistance, as they called it. And I took it upon myself to ring every single person that emailed me and said, I don't want the vaccine. I would ring them and talk to them. And one lovely lady rang me and said that her whole family were vaccine hesitant and including her elderly father and her brother. And she was a single mum with a 13-year-old daughter. They all lived together. And the brother brought COVID home dad got it and died. Mum got it, she got it and her 13-year-old daughter got it, got very sick and she said to me, Jed, I just wish now that we had have listened and just gone out and got vaccinated and so constantly I was hearing those sorts of stories. So I really took it upon myself that I was going to make this a mission of mine to the point where I contacted the nurses board myself because I'm an old nurse and went out and started to give vaccinations I got the okay to give vaccinations myself so I went up to your community health and joined in the vaccination team there and uh, I thought maybe that would help get the message out there
0: and it's sort of a heroic thing that's happened really isn't it I mean when you see what's happening in Hong Kong now and in low vaccination um, aged population areas I mean there's still a disaster to be had isn't there, there? is there
1: there really is we are learning as we go There's no doubt about it, but I think we've had, you know, five billion people around the world that have been vaccinated and we know the benefits and we know that it's safe and we know that this is the thing that's going to beat it. So when the medical advice comes out to say you need a booster, we'll be there pushing that message and you just got to trust the medical advice and the experts and, you know, I can't get that message out there more strongly than that. There is a disaster still waiting to happen if we don't follow their advice.
0: And, and as much as it's been an incredible effort, our areas, I've always been interested to think, oh, it seems like we're low. We've got low vaccination rates. Can, can you explain the demographics of your electorate as to why there may have been some hesitancy out there?
1: Well, uh, there is certainly some hesitancy to begin with among some migrant groups. I think we didn't do enough at the beginning to properly explain how important the vaccines were, the safety around them, how you go about getting them, Um, how the virus was passed on. We've learned now that we need to do that, but I think that that was one of the areas that we didn't get quite right, is going really deep down into those communities and making sure that everybody understood the messages and working with communities rather than imposing from above. I think that that's an important part.
0: Do you think if you've come from a background where the government's told you what to do and it's been civil war and things like that... Look...
1: That's a really interesting thing because with the latest round of protests and anti-mandate issues, I think people are telling me it's not so much the vaccine jet, it's the mandate issue, you know. I think you're right. I think it's often from countries where there have been authoritarian regimes and it might frighten people that these things are being mandated, you know. So you've got to really explain the health imperative and why we're doing this and how it is a protective measure and that it's not punitive and i think that's a really important part of it
0: does this sort of broadside you? do you think uh it's amazing to be a politician in this time
1: you know i I was having dinner with um some of my relatives from canberra actually uh last night the the kids are you know 12 and and sort of 10 age and i said to the kids you know what when you're my age You'll be telling people, I was alive during the pandemic. I was there. You'll be telling stories about it and how you had to stay home from school and, and all those sorts of things because this really is a moment in history, absolutely, one that we don't want to see again. And I think the lessons we learned from this pandemic, they need to be documented, they need to be recorded and we need to know how to do it right.
0: Well, we're doing that a little mm-hmm. oral history of, I love it. of our local and your Local electorate, um, the stories of the people in it. So thank you so much for being a part of it, Jed.
1: It's a very great pleasure. Thank you for asking me.
0: And good luck. Thanks. (laughs) And that's it for another episode of COVID Roulette. A big thank you to Jed Carney, Federal Member for Cooper. Thanks for sharing such a personal and emotional story. I'm Tony Wilson. COVID Roulette is an Elphington Community Centre project, and it has been funded through the Victorian Government's Local Community Access Grants Program. It's conceived and produced by myself and Leanne Coglin. Our musical theme is from David Bridie. Our artwork from Lee Arkapaw. There are more episodes coming, and if you think you've got a great COVID story, get in touch. We'll leave a link in the show notes. And remember that if you are facing this beast, give yourself the best odds. Make sure you go in vaccinated.